jumping back into Acts, chip, uh, back into Acts this morning, chapter 28, the first 16 verses. Uh, I'm not going to be here next Sunday, so Michael will be preaching, but the Sunday after we get back will be our last Sunday in the book of Acts. So we're going to be moving on. And I haven't quite decided exactly which book I want to preach from next. Probably going to be Hebrews at this point. So uh, if you have any comments to make about that, let me know <laughs> whether you would be in favor of it or maybe you'd like something else. But chapter 28 in Acts. After we brought uh, safely through when we learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a, bandle, a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us uh, hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Plubius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people of the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and we were about to sail to put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a fig, uh, as figurehead, putting in uh, at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. Uh, and after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petioli. There we found brothers and were invited to say, stay with them for seven days and so we came to Rome and the brothers there when they heard us came as far as the forum of Apius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them Paul thanked God and took courage and when we came into Rome Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Two weeks ago, we left uh, Paul and everyone else that had been aboard the ship that had wrecked on the island of Malta. Uh, at that point, they were still uh, about 100 miles south of uh, Sicily, uh, which is one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean, but they're still hundreds of miles from Rome, which is their final destination. Uh, still have around 400 miles to go. And the text before us today deals with the events uh, that follow after 
they leave Malta in short time. They were shipwrecked on Malta. The people came out. They're, they probably helped to rescue people and that sort of thing. They showed great kindness to Paul and to the others who had been on the ship, not knowing them at all. Uh, but uh, among other things, kindling a fire uh, so that they would have a place to dry and to warm themselves. Paul goes to throw a bundle of sticks on the fire. And a viper came out and fastened it to to his hands. A deadly snake. So deadly that the Maltesians fully expected him to fall down dead in just a matter of moments. Today, there are four species of of venomous snakes that are indigenous to Malta. They're all classified as whip snakes. The Maltesians were somewhat uh, superstitious in a sense, I guess. Because they believed that the reason that this snake bit Paul was because Paul had done something terribly wrong. And it was its way of justice being done to him. They assumed that he was a murderer. And they fully expected him to swell up and fall down dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really care for snakes much. Now, I don't classify them as my best friends. I don't have any pet snakes. I don't want any pet snakes. I just as soon not see snakes anywhere. Especially poisonous snakes. Well, most of you know that with Lori and I went to Africa. I've been to Africa three times. And, 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 and the poisonous snakes that we have here are gentle compared to the poisonous snakes that they have there you know uh, that sort of thing Uh, but these people were superstitious and they believed that every bad thing that happened to someone was because of something bad that they did now we need to realize there's a sense in which every bad thing that does happen to us happens to us because of sin right it's all part of the big picture But just because someone is bitten by a snake doesn't necessarily mean that they are a worse sinner than other people. When I was in elementary school, I can remember there was a a kid that was in a grade behind me. And uh, in those days, you know, Ocala's grown so much since I was a kid. There are places now that were a lot more open where there were fields and woods and things like that that are now all housing developments and uh, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, But this kid one day was walking home after school and there was a field between where the school was and his house and he was bitten by our our diamondback rattlesnake. And, and he had to fight for his life. I mean, he almost died from it. They almost had to amputate his, to amputate his leg and that sort of thing. 
But fortunately, because we, we lived close to Silver Springs and Ross Allen Institute was there, you know, and they had the antiventum, and so they were able to, to give that to him, and so he survived. But I don't know about you, but there's some things that would horrify me, and being bitten by a snake is like one of the most horrifying experiences I can possibly imagine. Things have changed now. It's very rare that people die from rattlesnake bites. As a matter of fact, it's very rare that people in the United States ever die from, rattle, from, from snake bites of any kind, girl snake bites or any other type of poisonous snake. But in those days, people died. In Africa, people died. There were people who died in Africa bitten by snakes when I was there. Statistically, this blows my mind. There are 5 million snake bites worldwide every year. Can you imagine? 7,000 of those in the United States. But superstitiously, the Maltesians believed that Paul was guilty of some terrible crime and that snake biting him was his judgment because of it. A miracle. Paul didn't die. God getting the, the attention of the Maltesians. That's not all that he did. Publius, who was one of the leading men of the island, his father was deathly sick with recurrent fever and dysentery. Dysentery being infectious disease that causes inflammation of the intestines resulting in severe bloody diarrhea. Yuck. Historically known as the bloody flux. But God through Paul heals this man. Jesus had said this. To his disciples. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The signs that Paul was doing on Malta serve a number of purposes. Number one, they validate his apostleship, that God had gifted him in special ways to do miraculous things. Plutius's father probably was suffering from what is called Maltese fever or brucellosis. 
It's still a common disease there today. It's a very highly contagious disease caused by the ingestion of unpasteurized milk or undercooked goat meat. God healed this man through the Apostle Paul. And he did it for a number of reasons, obviously. One of those is for the man's well-being. But the other reason is for all the people who witnessed it and heard of it. And also to validate the apostleship of the Apostle Paul. That in fact, Paul claiming to be man's, God's representative, in fact, is God's representative. To validate Paul's apostleship. And not only his apostleship, but the gospel that he preached. They stayed in Malta for three months. The whole time Paul was doing ministry there. Planning a church in a sense. In a place it had not been before. Then after three months and they set sail again and headed toward Rome. The ship had to pass through the Strait of Messina, uh, which is a narrow passage very treacherous passage between <clears throat> the tip of the north, northeast tip of Sicily and the toe on the Italian boot, if you know what I'm talking about. It's noted for its strong tidal currents. Also, there's a natural whirlpool that has been known to take ships down at one end. Also for mythology, there was a mythological giant dog who was said to live in a cave by the Strait of Messina. It was believed to snatch a sailor or two from ships as they passed by if they came too close to the shoreline. So also a natural whirlpool there called Charb... I can't even say the name which appeared three times a day. In other words, as they were making this passage, I would imagine the thoughts of what happened to them in Malta were fresh on their mind. They'd already been in one shipwreck, and it was a very great potential that they're going to be involved in another one. But God brought them safely through to all of that. To a place called Rigium. And the ship landed. From that point on, they're going to travel by land to Rome. And we're told that as they make their way there, that brothers, Christians from Rome, come to greet them. 
the Lord Jesus has finally brought Paul to Rome as he said that he would all the way back in Acts chapter 23, 11. Through trial and tribulation, Paul reached Rome around 60 A.D. at the age of 54. Now, I think everybody in this room is probably 54 or older. Today, that doesn't seem to be all that old, but let me just tell you that in A.D. 60, the average lifespan was 35 years. So the Apostle Paul was a very, not just an older man, he was a very old person. He had almost double the lifespan of the average person that lived in Europe in those days. He would have been considered very old. He still has six or seven years of ministry left to do that he will do from Rome. Much of the time under house arrest. There's reason to believe that he was released for a short time in 62 AD and then rearrested later on. There's a possibility, and there's some reason historically to believe this, that maybe Paul left Rome briefly to do some additional missionary work. While he was in prison, he continued to minister, to communicate and correspond with the churches that he had planted, as well as individuals he had personally discipled. Very extensive ministry that Paul was engaged in, writing letters. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, And Philemon are often called the prison epistles. Why? Because Paul wrote them when he was imprisoned in Rome. He also wrote the pastoral epistles, at least some of them while he was in Rome. First and second Timothy and Titus were most likely written during his Roman imprisonment. My whole point is that Paul's ministry work did not cease when he reached Rome. It continued on because he really believed this. For him to live was Christ and to die was gain. That was the mantra of his life. He knew that as long as he lived that he needed to minister. It was his call to minister, to always be about his Savior's business. He didn't let a little thing about like being under house arrest to get in his way any more than it had to. As a matter of fact, he probably used it to his advantage. Even after his death, his ministry continues on. He's had more influence upon me and more influence upon you than anybody else other than Jesus Christ as far as your Christian faith goes. 
Even more so, I would imagine the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter. He wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. He continues to speak to you and I on a regular basis as we study the Word of God. He's second only to Jesus in his influence over us, every one of us. And that's true for every other Christian that has lived since the first century A.D. He never let a little thing like imprisonment get in his way. He lived knowing that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. You and I are principally and primarily disciples of Jesus. We're secondarily disciples of the Apostle Paul. The church has had a great deal of influence. in the Western world now for a very long time. A lot of it because of the work of the Apostle Paul. But there are those in the world today who are claiming that we are living now in a post-Christian world, a post-Christian era. In their minds, man has evolved beyond the superstitious belief and need for there to be a God, much less a Savior. World history says they don't know what they're talking about. Not just church history but world history. There has been nothing that has had the kind of influence on people around this globe over the last 2,000 years than Christianity. Not just church history attests to that fact, but world history itself does. All because the church has taken the Great Commission seriously. All because of the discipleship of Christ and the discipleship of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. Taking seriously the commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations. Most of you know that early on as a Christian, I had the great privilege and opportunity to go to Uganda for the first time. Lori went. Never could get her to go back, but she went the first time. 
And I don't know how much you knew about the history of Uganda. At that point in, in history, uh, the country that at one time had been called the Pearl of Africa was decimated. Devastated. People living in poverty that you and I can't even begin to imagine. And not just a few. Masses, large numbers of them. Idi Amin seized power in 1971 and ruled for eight years during which he killed or imprisoned all who opposed him, as many as 100,000 people. He took the Pearl of Africa and made it into a slum. Nineteen seventy nine he was ousted. It was not long after that that Laurie and I well it was almost ten it was ten years after that Laurie and I were there in nineteen eighty eight. You can't even imagine what we saw. We were there because of the courage of a man named Jack Miller. Let me tell you, if you met Jack Miller, you probably wouldn't have been all that impressed with him. He was not a huge guy or anything like that. But Jack Miller had found very special interest in Uganda, and he went there, and he they started a church in Philadelphia, and they wound up sending missionaries, lots of missionaries, to Uganda over the years. And that was the beginning of World Harvest Mission. But they get, began to focus their ministry there in a little place called Fort Portal that was on the, in the western part of Uganda. By the time we got there, they were already beginning to make efforts to penetrate even further west to a place called Busoro. That's when Lori and I went. We lived in a tent for three weeks. And I spent my days laying bricks. We were building a house for a missionary. By the time we left, the walls were finished. There were no trusses or anything else on the house. It was interesting because we had an audience. Whenever we were working, there would be masses of people, 100-plus people there just watching us. Partly because most of them had never seen anybody lay a brick before. 
and that sort of thing. And it was, it was kind of, we, we had a lot of fun doing it because every now and then one of the people watching would say something and everybody would start laughing and we wouldn't have any idea what they're talking about. But that's all I did. That's all we did. It was there for three weeks and then we returned back home. I had the privilege of going back again. With Walter and Steve Johnson and Brooke Julius and Bob Couts. We went, we, we went, went the second time, we spent most of our time at Fort Portal and we only went up to Busoro for a day or two. But that day or two meant everything to me. I could not believe the transformation that had taken place in Busoro because of the church. Because of its presence. It was an entirely different community than it had been before. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. To see what God did with it. To see these impoverished people flourishing because of the presence of Christ Jesus in their midst. It was phenomenal. It was unbelievable the transformation that had taken place. I couldn't believe it. God doesn't promise that we're all going to be wealthy, but at the same time, there is a promise that we will flourish. Christianity made the difference. Christianity is the only thing that makes a difference. Christianity is the only thing that will ever make a difference for anybody ultimately. Because it's the good news. It's the best news. It's the only good news. Wherever Christianity flourishes, people flourish. Let me tell you, all the people there, and I'm not telling you, that everybody went there became a Christian, but the people who were there in that community, they benefited because of the presence of the church. Everyone was better off than they were before the church came. Paul saw this happen time and time and time and time again. 
in his ministry. Believers need the church. You know what? Unbelievers need the church too. It's when the church flourishes. People flourish. Because it's all about people. We all have our mission field. Let me ask you something. Is your neighborhood any different because you're there? Seriously. The people in your neighborhood see you, 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 you and your, you, your, your wife, family, whoever, in a different light than they see all their other neighbors. I mean, are we being that light where we are? Seriously. Are we blending in with everybody else? Are we standing out? Are we flourishing? And as a result, those around us flourishing too. I'm going to say, let me just say this to you. One of the things that stood out for me when I first started thinking about this Christian stuff, I began to understand something. And that is these people had something I did not have. And I wanted it. The people look upon us that way. Or do they avoid us because they know that we're religious people? Maybe, maybe, and because they have good reason to avoid us because maybe the approach we've taken in talking with them and that sort of thing at times. You know, we are all beacons of the light of Christ. Every one of us. Shining forth into the darkness. Are we making an impact? Where we are? Or are we just living our life? Apart from everything else. Paul never let his circumstances 
dictate to him what he did. Circumstances changed. He just shifted gears a little bit. Nothing seemed to get in his way. Can we be different? Should we be different? I just remind us this morning, I've done that a number of times lately, that is this, is Christ has saved you, not just to save you. He saved me, not just to save me. He saves us that through us as vehicles, he can move into the lives of other people. And we go right along with him. You know, it's very easy for us to just get to the point where we're just kind of satisfied. I'm sad. Have you ever? I'm just really satisfied with the way my life is right now. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. You know, I'm really comfortable where I am. Let me ask you are you really super duper comfortable where you are? may not be a good thing. I mean, there's a sense in which it's okay for us to be comfortable where we are. We should be comfortable in our faith with Christ, right? But we can't get so comfortable that we become ineffective. We're at that point. We're not about our father's business. We're about our own. What do you think Paul would have to say to us if he was here this morning? Probably some good stuff. But I would imagine he would probably have some serious words to challenge us, to not be complacent, to pursue ministry wholeheartedly wherever we are, whatever we're doing. To make it not be something that we just do when we have the time, but something that becomes a priority for us. We're going to wrap this up <clears throat> the week after we get back, and then we'll be moving on to something else.